Hello, church. Here you go. It's, uh, don't you love our video team? I love what they do. Did you notice, however, in that video that that is actually an electric mower he was starting? Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit of humour hidden within what we do. Uh. As you go, it's, it's such an interesting series because I think it's the heart of Christianity. I think it's the heart of what God's called us to be. I think uh, we've got to try and understand it. We're trying to catch it. Uh, I don't think it's meant to be difficult. I think it's meant to be easy. Uh, and there's a lot of hope given to us in the Bible. I, I, I think about what Jesus did when he chose the 12 disciples. If, if, and if you imagine you sitting there as God, and Jesus coming to earth, and, and, and choosing the 12, who would you choose? Would you choose a fisherman? Or two, a political activist in Simon, a tax collector, someone who's probably not liked by the community, and a bunch of other nobodies to take the message, this vital message of hope and to the world. I actually think it gives us a lot of hope. I think it go well. God chose those people. Because he can use anybody to change the world. Because it's God who changes the world. Not just the people he chooses. Gives me hope. You see, I think the difference between those people and the people he could have chosen, he could have chosen the chief priests, the religious people. They're well versed in scripture. They knew it backwards, had all the information. They knew how to do church. He could have chosen Roman emperors who had control of the people at the time. But he chose people who were available, people who said yes. And that message 2,000 years ago Jesus dying on a cross, rising again from the dead. The good news of Christianity, the good news was given to a bunch of nobodies who changed the world. I I think those people, however, if I look at them, I look at them as business people. I look at Peter and fishermen and, and business people. They were busy. They weren't just, ah, well, available because they were doing nothing. Matthew, the tax collector, he had a, a job that was important in that world. But they were available. They had excuses, all the excuses in the world. They could have argued with God and said, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know anything. But they didn't. They just said, okay, we'll go. You see, Jesus was not looking for perfect people. He was looking for available people. And I think the heart of God and I think what God wants of his church is just to be available. It's just to be people who say, okay, I'm available. What do you want? And and I think we've made it difficult over the years. uh, But I think God wants to make it easy for us. 
I think we've made it complex. And he just wants it to be good news. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 28 says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eye or powerful or wealthy when God called you. I think that's interesting because I think it's interesting to note that there was some wise, wealthy, powerful people in the early church. That didn't exclude anybody. But there was also a bunch of people who were not wise, wealthy. They were just normal, everyday people who changed the world. He said, instead, God chose those things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chooses things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and use them to bring nothing what the world considers, and use them to bring nothing what the world considers important. That's the thing I love about God. One of the many things is he'll use me. He'll use you. Because he's got a, a purpose and a goal to change the world. When we think about Highlands and the way we do church, and it's like Doug was saying, I love this church. If I wasn't the pastor of the church, I'd come to the church, which is probably a good sign, you know. Uh, I love the church. I love what the church does. I love what this church does. I love that it's a, it's a happy place. It's a positive place. It's a place where we want to see people lifted up. It's a place where we want to see people find their destiny and hope. It's a place where we see people give their life to Jesus every week uh, because that's our heart. Our heartbeat is that people will know God, not just know about God. I, I like that it's not a religious place. It's a place built on relationship. It's a place built where people can encounter God. It's a safe place to belong before you believe. I like all those things about our church, and I think it's important that the church is that. And our church is about discipleship and community and worship. That's what we say. It's a model that's a little different to maybe what you grew up with. I grew up in a church that was go to church on Sunday, repeat church on Wednesday in a small group, and you had to evangelize. That's how I was brought up. The church that was in, in COC, the church before that was the Anglican church I was in, and all you had to do there was go to church on Sunday. Uh, and that was, you fulfilled your religious duty. Uh, and I've, it's not about religious duty, it's about life. Uh, and with discipleship and community and worship, discipleship is partnering with God. As you go, we partner with God. Community is what we do, like Mia and the small groups and, and having community where people actually know each other and, and love each other. And we come together on Sunday to worship, to praise God because God inhabits the praises of people. People have asked me, why don't we sing lots of melancholy worship songs? Well, God inhabits the praises of his people. And I think there's enough melancholy stuff and challenges going on in the world that we actually need to be people of praise and people that are upbeat, that there's a positive message, that it's good news, not just, oh, we're melancholy or, oh, God, what a worm that I am. No, no, it's God wants you to know that he loves you. There's more for you than against you. 
that there's more for you that God wants you to achieve in the world. And I think for too long, the world's put us down in that way and think, well, you know, Christians should be poor. I know a friend of mine, you may have heard me tell this story, but he was a very wealthy business guy. He was driving along the highway uh, down the expressway and he saw an old Datsun 120Y with smoke pouring out the exhaust. And he was driving his Mercedes and the back of the 120Y says, Jesus loves you. And he thought, wow. And you've got a Datsun 120Y with smoke pouring out of it. I think I want another fall but Jesus. And you think, oh, well, because sometimes we, we miss that. We miss that actually God wants us to be blessed. And, and part of community and why we want to uplift people and, and is because God wants us to be blessed. The religious people, and they're the people Jesus seemed to have trouble with, you know. Uh, that scripture we put up of who he chose, he didn't chose the religious people because he was probably going to have a bit of trouble with them. They knew it all and they missed him. And religious people will always be about trying to change other people, yet that's not their job. It's not our job. Our job's to be available. God's job is to change people. See, discipleship is a partnership with job, with God. The partnership is to be available when he brings God's guests past our path. And I mentioned this in the first week, but God's guests are the people that God's working on that he wants to bring past us. He wants to bring into our church. You may be a God's guest this morning where you're here and you don't know why you're here, but you're here. Someone's invited you. You've driven past. You've seen the church and you've come in. You are God's guests. And we want to see God's guests loved and cared for. And the God's guests that go past us in our daily life. Who are God's guests that he's bringing past you? Are you available and do you have eyes to see them? See, God's job is to redeem them. Our job is to love them. And sometimes that can be difficult, you know. Have you ever run into the person that's difficult to love? Most husbands at some stage of the marriage. Oh. I'm not going to say anything about the wives because I'll get in trouble. Again. But sometimes people it can be difficult to love. Yet we're called to love them. For far too long, I believe Christians have focused on the how of Christianity rather than the who of Christianity. That there is a belief that the Christian's job is to change the world. I don't know about you, but I have enough trouble changing my world, let alone changing the world. God's job is to change the world. God's job is to see people's lives change. And I love that about God because then it doesn't become our responsibility. It's our responsibility just to be available to the people he brings past us. There's a few premises I'd love to place before you this morning. The first premise is God loves people more than we do. That God loves people more than we do. I love people. I'm a, I love people. I just, 
think people are fantastic. I love watching what people do, good and bad. It's sometimes I find it very humorous to see what people do. I just did a quick bike trip with a friend of mine, Ranald Dugstad, and we shot to Darwin and back on the bikes. Ranald's still coming home. He was visiting someone. And uh, you meet some really interesting people in caravan parks. <laughs> and you meet some really interesting grey nomads who drive along at 80 kilometres an hour <laughs> in 130 zones in Darwin, or Northern Territory. But you meet some really interesting people. And it's who God brings past us that's important for us. And I think sometimes we miss it because we've focused on the how. How do I get them saved? How do I do this? How do I, rather than the person, the who? Who are they? What's their story? Because I think their story and life is more important than our opinion. I, I I remember a, a story of a guy who was sitting in McDonald's with his kids and his kids were running wild. Running wild. And he's sitting there and seemingly not paying any attention to the brats that were running around. And a woman would come up to him and chipped him and said, don't you see the kids are running around and it's just ridiculous what's going on? And he said, Oh, shook his head a little and said, I'm really sorry, I've just come from my wife's funeral. Sometimes I think we miss the people and we see a circumstance rather than what the people are going through. And I think our heart is as Christians as we go about our daily life is to see people in their hurting in their struggle, in their sufferings, in their good times and their bad times and point them towards Jesus. John 3.16 puts it so beautifully and I'll quote it again. It's probably a scripture you know, but I love 3.16 and 17. I think 17 gets missed out a lot. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his only, only son, one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's a lot of love for people. That's a lot of love for you and I. That he allowed his son to die, rose again from the dead, and you think, oh, well, he knew he was going to rise from dead from the dead, but can you imagine the suffering of the cross? God knew he was going to rise. God knew that what was going to go on, but he had to still go through that suffering because he loves you. He loves people. Then it says in 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It's interesting to me that God sent Jesus in not to judge the world, and yet sometimes we can become the judge, jury, and many times the executioner of people. <laughs> Anyone guilty like me? <laughs> yet God didn't come in to judge it, come in to save it. I think as a church, we've got to catch that adage that God loves people more than we love people. That we can see people's lives changed. 
The second premise I'd like to put before you today is not what you know, it's who you know. It's a story of the world, isn't it, really? It's not what you know, it's who you know. You'll hear it in business, you'll hear it as you go about life. It's important that we know Jesus, not just know of him. And there'll be an opportunity for you today, if you don't know him, that we can introduce you to Jesus and he'll come into your life. To know God, but to know others as well. This partnership with God that we have in the process of discipleship is that we'll know people, that we'll actually care for people, that we'll take people on a journey to point them towards him. Because one of the tricks I think the enemy, the devil, likes to do is to say we're not qualified. We don't know enough scripture. I couldn't talk to anyone about Jesus because I don't know anything. I'm a nobody. That's the pastor's job. (laughs) Yet, I love that he chose fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies. Because he's the one that gives us the words to speak. I remember years ago, I was on the phone call with my sister. And uh, she was, grew up in the church and she was away from God. And I was a baby, baby, baby believer in those days. Baby filled with the Spirit. You know, I grew up in Anglican Church, if you know my story. And then we went to Uniting Church where Moira and I got married. And then we come back to church through Christian Outreach Centre. Come back to Christian Outreach Center and you know, caught the fire of God and the Spirit of God. And I was talking to my sister on the phone and she asked me some questions and and I answered them. But I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't know what I was saying. And because God gives you the words to speak. And I, I love how he puts it in Luke 12, 11 and 12, because I think God wants to remove our, some of our excuses that we have that make us unavailable. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says this, When you are brought to trial in the synagogues before the rules and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And I love that. I love that you can be talking in someone and and the words come. I love that when you're working with people that there's the wisdom of God comes upon you. But the only way you experience it is when you're available to do it. The supernatural of God, the the voice of the Holy Spirit in you. One of the most exciting things is when when you're talking to someone and those people have no idea of Jesus and it's not in a religious way, but all of a sudden the truth of God cuts through to their heart, which is God's job. I think it's true in life, in business, I think that I did it my way is a thing of the past. God brings people past your life just when you need it. Not just to see people come to know Jesus, and I love that that he does, but I think he does it in life. A friend of mine in Brisbane is a guy who runs the banking operation who we subcontract part of our banking work when we were in the movement, when I was in the CEO of the movement, we've got our own bank. So... We're not allowed to call it a bank, it's an investment service. Of course, we're not a bank, but we actually bank all the church's money and we lend money out to churches and 
I established that and part of that deal I had to negotiate with different suppliers who, supply, who actually provide the software and the banking systems to credit unions and things like that. And the CEO of that particular organisation I become friendly with and, and his wife and him were cyclists. And, and, and I love what God does and how God brings people at the right time. And they were out cycling. They just bought a brand new carbon bike and all the new tricky bits. And his wife was on the bike and she was got up on to pedal and going up a hill. And you know how you get out of the saddle and you start to pedal. And she started to pedal and the gooseneck on the handlebars broke. And her head went down and got the gooseneck bit and tore her whole face. And do you know what happened outside of the leading plastic surgeon's house in Brisbane? And you go, well, why, why would God let it happen in the first place? I don't know. But I do know he had people there that when it happened, the leading plastic surgeon in Brisbane happened to walk out and say, who, I think he was actually mowing his lawn, of all things, when it happened, and instantly there was people there. I love the story recently where an accident happened here and a paramedic was there at the scene right at the right time. Because I think God is interested in us. I think God brings people around our path in tragedy and in triumph, in discipleship as well. If we're available. I think it's important that we... We do life in community because people matter. And I think a who, not how is a, a really good question to ask ourselves because I don't know about you, we've grown up in a society where it's an individualistic society. It's what I can do myself. It's a I did it my way type of model. We're taught it at school, aren't we? I, you know, at school, you're not allowed to collaborate on your homework or the test. If you get caught collaborating in the test, you're in trouble. If you get caught collaborating in the test. <laughs> but we're taught to do it ourselves. We're taught all the time. It's, it's something built into us all the time that we're taught to do it by ourselves. Yet actually God taught, teaches us all the time to do it with others. All the way through scripture, he's talking about doing life together. When he sent the disciples out, he sent them out two by two to go. When he, when he sent people out the, with the 12, he sent the 12. Because community is so important. There's something you'll never learn on your own. And I think there's some power in what we do as a church because I, I do hear some people say, oh, well, I don't need to go to church if I'm a Christian, to be a Christian. I've heard that. You may have said it. I may have said it at some stages in my journey. But there's some things we can't learn without our community. Things like forgiveness. Things like loyalty in relationships. You see, you can only learn love in relationships. You can't learn kindness, faithfulness, or graciousness, or unselfishness without others. 
I think it's so important that we understand as a church that we are called to partner with God to make a difference in the world. The third premise, the most unlikely people in the world are on God's hit list to know him. I'd love you to think this morning about the most unlikely person in your world, in your circle of friends, in your family, that you think is impossible for God to change. Who is that one? Who is that person you look at and go, that's impossible? Because I actually think they're the ones on God's hit list. I love this. There's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 1 to 9. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats against, with every breath and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Nice guy. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. It's an interesting deal. Here's the most unlikely person, the most unlikely person at that time. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? It's interesting he knew he was Lord, Saul asked. And the, Lord, the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him to the hand, by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. I probably wouldn't eat or drink either if you'd had that experience. A couple of interesting thoughts on that. It's God's job to save people. God did the interruption. God made the, the change to Saul's life and brought the challenge. I think God has an innate ability to get our attention. I think he has that ability. I, I think there's times that he has that ability just to grab us, no matter what's going on, to get our attention. And at this stage, he grabs Saul, the most unlikely person to get saved. When you think about the people in your life, who is the most unlikely one? Because it's not impossible with God. You know, I, we're going to do a dedication in the next service. And remember how God got my attention. As I said, we were, Moira and I left the Uniting Church. And before we came back into COC, we had our first daughter, Megan. And we went to get her christened, because that's what you did. And uh, so we went to the Uniting Church that we were part of, um, that group of churches, and said to one of the pastors, we want to get our child christened. And he said, you have to be a part of the church for six weeks before we'll do that. And I said, well, that if I did that, that would be a lie, so I'm not going to do that. Um, he said, well, there's an option that I can give you that you can dedicate your child. 
He said, but what you've got to do is I want you to write the dedication service. Now, I was a business person. I was busy. He was smart. And it's funny how God gets you. And then I had to go and actually study the scripture, dust off my blue Bible my mum gave me when I was a kid, study the scripture to actually get a service to dedicate my daughter. And that was that point that God got our attention that took the journey back to where God wanted us to be. It's interesting. If you look at Paul, there's an underrated believer in the start of the early church and his name's Anias. I think he's one of the most underrated believers. Let's have a look at his story, Acts 9, 10 to 17. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Anias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Anias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarthus, from Tarus, named Saul. He's praying, for me, praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Anias coming and laying hands on him so he can see again. And this was Anias' response. But Lord, exclaimed Anias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorised by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as the people of Israel. I'll show you how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Anias went and found Saul, he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What a brave person! We never hear from him again. This incredibly brave man who, the most unlikely person in the world at that time, who was known for killing people, God said, go. But I want you to notice this. He said, are you sure, God? He actually had that discussion with God saying, are you sure? It's okay. The question. It's okay to say, God, are you sure? But then will you be obedient to the challenge? Will you be available? See, Anias played his partnership in the discipleship of Paul. He was available. God did his part. Conviction belonged to God. And I want to challenge us as, just as a church as we're in this series and as we go forward. Who are the people God's bringing past your life? Who are the people that God's placed for you? That he's brought conviction upon their life and all he wants you to do is point them towards Jesus. You don't have to save them. You don't have to convert them. You just have to love them. Imagine, because this is the church I imagine. Imagine a church where each and every one of us, even if we see one person a year, how we would change Toowoomba forever.
your one person that God's bringing past your life? Can you imagine? There's 2,300 people in the life of our church. That's the number that's in our database. You imagine if 2,300 people, you imagine if just 1,000 people said, yes, God, I'm available to that God's guest you're bringing past my path. The difference we could make in this city. Many of us are praying for revival. Many of us want to see the city changed. But it's changed And the only way it's changed is by people coming to know Jesus one person at a time. Revival is always marked by salvation. So my question to you, will you be available for God to use? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you challenge us. You don't make it difficult for us, Lord. You actually make it really easy. You bring the people. (laughs) We honestly don't even have to go out looking for them. You bring them, just like Anias was bought Paul. We just have to be available. So Father, I pray for this church. I pray for us as a church that we will be available. That the people you bring past us this week, the people that can seem impossible to us, the people that are unlikely, the people that are likely, Father, the people that we've been talking to, loving for years, the opportunity that they'll know you, Father, that will be available for them. Because if, we've, if you've given your life to Jesus in this place, you know that your life has changed for the better and your life is better with God than it was without him. And that our heart is that people will experience that incredible grace and love of God. Father, I pray for everyone here. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you're bringing past our path. Hey, just while every eye's closed and every head's bowed this morning, I said, I made a promise to you that I'd give you an opportunity that if you didn't know Jesus, that we'd give you an opportunity to know him this morning. And we do this in every service and we do it because you are so valuable to God Just like that John 3, 16, 17 scripture said that he died on the cross for you. He went through suffering for you. He rose again that you can have life. And it's not just about knowing all those things. It's about knowing him. That he will actually come into your life and you'll experience God in such a real and powerful way. So right across this room right now, I want to give you that opportunity. If you've never given your life to Christ, or if you've been away from God and you want to come back today, I want to give you that opportunity. So while no one's looking around, if that's you, I'd love to pray for those ones. Would you raise your hand if that's you so I know who I'm praying for? I see that hand. Thank you very much. Right across this room, one there. Thank you very much. That's awesome. Come on, let's give it up for people as they give their lives for Jesus this morning. It's the best decision you'll ever make. We should be so excited as a church. Do you know there's a party in heaven right now? That's what Scripture says. When people give their life to Christ, there's a party going on. I like parties. And you're members of those parties. So right across this room right now, last time I'm asking this morning, so important. I don't want to labour it, but it's so important. So look across this room. Last time. 
Well, Father, thank you for every person here. If you gave your life to Jesus this morning, you raised your hand, or maybe you're sitting in the seat and you didn't raise your hand, but you desperately wanted to. I get that. God will enter your life this morning. But why don't you ask him in? It's as simple as us, as, as a simple prayer, and God will become so real to you. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's what Scripture says. It's as easy as saying these words, this prayer. And why don't you pray with me this morning? It goes like this. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Saviour. Forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong. And Jesus, I pray that you make yourself so real to me today and every day. Amen.